Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, you are so wonderful, full of grace and power and mercy. And Father, you're also, you've given us your word full of truth to help us to understand your ways that we might be um, obedient to you. As we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would give us insights, that it would not just be a time where we look at a few scriptures and then uh, have a few points and maybe have a laugh or two, but that uh, it would be transformational, that we would understand better about your nature. We would understand more about your kingdom. We'd understand more about your great love for us and what you expect from us because of that love. Father, we pray for transformational power this morning. Father, help us as we worship you today. And we ask it in the strong and the life-changing, the saving name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm uh, taking a little different format here, especially with Mike not being here, uh, but I appreciate the opportunity to uh, proclaim God's truth to you, uh, and it uh, makes me a little bit nervous. I come up here to this table, and there's a big old rope. So y'all, now I, I know what the rope's here for. I, we're gonna, I'm going to use that to uh, help drive on, home a point at the end of the uh, message and uh, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 uh, this morning. And um, we're going to, there's, there's seven parables in Matthew thir- chapter 13. And uh, we're going to uh, focus in on two of those parables, uh, very short parables. Uh, but uh, we're going to be also reminded of the other five parables. So the two that we're especially focusing on uh, this morning uh, begin in uh, verse 44 of Matthew 13. And we're going to read those two parables. It's uh, parables that you're familiar with. Uh, The parable of the hidden treasure and also the parable of the pearl of great price. So let's read these and then, uh, and then we'll uh, uh, get into what these other parables are telling us as well. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, his, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. These are parables of um, great value, where uh, the person involved with the parable sees the great value. And we're going to relate that to the value that we have in our souls for the kingdom of God. The uh, other parables that are here, um, these are coupled together because they deal with similar subject matter, finding something of great value and then 
and then giving our all for it. Uh, likewise, the first um, uh, two and the second two are coupled together uh, with uh, related topics, and they all begin with the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of God can be compared to. And uh, Jesus is teaching here uh, to help his apostles, help his disciples understand what the kingdom of God is like. And then at the end of this uh, uh, discourse, he gives instruction. And he says, if you understand these things, then you can be like a man with a storehouse, a man that owns a storehouse, and you can distribute the old and the new, and you can help people come to know about the kingdom of God. The first parable in uh, Matthew 13 is, about, uh, is a parable about uh, a man who planted, he sowed his field, and as he threw his seed out, it fell on four different types of soil. There was the good soil, there was a rocky path, there was rocky soil, and there was a, a place where the soil had a lot of weeds in it. And you'll notice that as, uh, as this parable unfolds, that really only one-fourth of the seed that is mentioned here uh, is fruitful. The rest falls in, uh, in unfruitful territory where the birds come or where the weeds choke out or where the, uh, where the plant springs up but there's no depth to the soil and, and, the, and the plant withers away. So uh, you can see here that uh, the kingdom of God is going to be dealing with uh, people who are fruitful and people who are not fruitful. And uh, um, then in the second parable, it also has an agricultural theme and that uh, there's a man that has tilled his field, he's prepared the soil, he's planted good seed, and then after he planted the seed and was ready for it to come forth, in the night, the enemy came and planted weeds there in the same field that he had planted his good seed. And there's instruction here for the farmer not to go out and pull up the weeds because if he does, he's going to disturb the good plants and it's going to, uh, uh, it's going to cause the, the yield to be lower. In other words, he is to wait until both of them rise up. The good seed, the wheat, bears much fruit and he can go in and harvest that. And then... Um, and then you'll notice that uh, if you'll go back and read this, and I would encourage you uh, maybe this afternoon before kickoff or maybe for, if you're not a football fan, you can do this during the game. Uh, but uh, uh, read the entire chapter of Matthew 13 and see the truths that are there. Be reminded about what we talked about this morning. But... Uh, uh, there's some things that we can draw from this too, in that he, God is not calling on us to, to judge these other people that are not 
uh, maybe they're professing to be Christians, but we see by their fruit that they're not. That's something that uh, God is going to tend to, he and his angels, at the end time. We're going to rule at one point, but, uh, uh, but not uh, at this point. At this point, at the end of time, when the, when the harvest is gathered in, the angels are going to be dividing the good from the bad. And the good is going to go into the storehouse. And the bad is going to go into the fire. We're going to see that again here in just a few minutes uh, with that seventh parable. But uh, then there's two others. There's another coupling of uh, parables and uh, they are the, the mustard seed and the leaven, or the yeast. And what he's saying with this is that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. That's the smallest of all the herb seeds. But it, when it's planted, and it was a crop of the area, it would grow into a large bush, a bush large enough for a man on horseback to ride under, uh, a bush tall enough, a tree tall enough for birds to, uh, uh, to build their nests in. Now, uh, I, I've seen birds build nests in uh, shrubs like this, and uh, the cats love those birds, and uh, they, uh, they are in for a lot of danger and probably not a lot of success. Uh, but even the mountain laurels that grow uh, 10, 12, 15 feet that I've seen around here, uh, they have birds, bird nests in them. And uh, the, the parent birds uh, can be very successful in one of those. Uh, and uh, so as I think about the mustard plant, it's, uh, it's not uh, unlike uh, a mountain laurel that we would be familiar with in this area. But the idea between the mustard seed being the smallest of seeds, but growing into one of the largest herb plants, and the yeast, uh, and it's just a little bit of yeast that can be folded into a large amount of dough, and it has such an impact. Uh, he's saying here to his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is gonna start off slowly. It's going to start off small, but then it's going to grow to something mighty and great. And, uh, and this was something that they could relate to because the Jews of the day, they knew that uh, uh, when the Messiah came, now they knew in their own mind, they knew that the Messiah was going to come and just take over and start a new government and they were going to overthrow the Romans. Uh, they did not understand the full concept of what the kingdom of God was going to be like. It was going to be more than just an earthly kingdom for the, for the short haul. It's going to be for eternity. And he's telling them here that it's going to start small and then it's going to grow huge. Now, we can relate to that because we just celebrated Christmas and it started in a manger. It started with the baby, our Savior, being laid in a feed trough and uh, at very humble beginnings. They could understand this too because um, these men that uh, 
Jesus had called out to be his followers. They were not what we would call the sharpest knives in the drawer, okay? Uh, they were good men. They were Jewish, they, uh, but they were, they were kind of late bloomers because as, uh, as they would go to the synagogue and the rabbi would teach them, the rabbi would see that some uh, of the young boys were uh, picking it up a little faster. They were all learning, but some had more potential. And uh, so the rabbi hung on to those guys, and the others, as time would pass, they would go on and go back to their fathers to learn a trade. Most of the disciples were fishermen. They learned the trade of fishermen. And uh, uh, they still knew the truth of God. They still had the hope to see the kingdom of God fulfilled. Uh, but when they were called out by this Jesus, no one else would have picked these guys. It started small. I can so relate to that because I would not pick me to be standing or sitting in front of you today. There's so many others that could teach and so many others that could bring so many truths to light to you and to apply them to your life. Uh, but, uh, but God has allowed me to be here to teach you today, to preach about the truth of God's Word, and I'm thankful for it. It's not something I, I get to be proud about. It's something that I'm humbled with and something that I'm excited to be a part of. But, uh, uh, but he starts with the ones that you might not expect him to start with. And he uses them in a mighty way. So we've got the parable of the soils. We've got the parable of the good seed that's been uh, contaminated with the weeds. And then we have the, uh, uh, the parables of the uh, mustard seed and the uh, yeast. And then we get to the parables that uh, I read the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the, of the uh, 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 pearl of great price. And then following that, there's, a, there's one other parable, the seventh parable, and that's the parable of the net. Now, these were fishermen. They understood fishing, and he had already told them that he's going to, uh, that they are going to follow him, and he's going to make them fishers of men. What this parable in chapter 13 of Matthew is talking about is not a parable of evangelism. This is a parable of the end times. This is a parable that says uh, at the end times, there's going to be a great net. And the, the net that he described here is not the net that uh, uh, most of the fishermen would use where they would throw the net out uh, and uh, it have, would have weights and go down and then trap some fish in it. Now, this was a much, much larger net. This was a net that might be a half a mile long. This was a net with very small holes in the netting where nothing could escape. Uh, this was a net that would be anchored to the, uh, to the shore. And then the boat would go out 
the length of the net. And there would be weights at the bottom of the net that would take the bottom of the net to the, uh, to the bottom of the, of the sea or the lake that they're fishing in. And then there would be floats on the top. And so uh, they would go out maybe a half a mile with this net and it was like a wall that was moving through the water that would trap every fish. And then it would come back around and encircle the fish and they would all be caught. And then in this parable it says that they're going to bring all the fish in, the good and the bad, the usable and the unusable. And the usable are going to go into one container. Might even be a container uh, full of water so that the fish would not have to be processed right away. But then the bad fish, the fish that had no value, they were cast away, eventually to be burned up, destroyed. This is talking about the end times. We're going to look at another teaching that Jesus had in Matthew 25 a little bit later on this morning. But uh, he's, he's saying that the kingdom of God is like these four soils. The kingdom of God is like uh, good seed mixed with weeds. The kingdom of God is the mustard seed that's tiny and it's going to grow large or the leaven that's going to start off small and make the loaf rise. It's like the hidden treasure. It's like the pearl of great price. And I want us to focus in on these two parables especially because these are parables that are going to uh, talk about our responsibility. When we come upon something of great value, what are we going to do with it? Are we just going to slough it off? Are we going to take it for granted? Now, you might think this guy that was uh, a, uh, apparently a servant working for someone else on someone else's land, and he's out tilling the soil or building a wall or whatever his master had for him that day. And he comes across a hidden treasure. Now, that's, that's something that uh, I've thought about on my little plot of land. I thought, I wonder if anyone ever buried anything valuable here. You've had those thoughts. I hadn't gone to digging up because there's too much rock. <laughs> okay. But uh, why would someone bury treasure? You see, in, this, in the time of Christ, in the time before Christ, uh, Palestine was, uh, was just full of conflict. There was war after war. There was army marching through after army marching through. And there were no banks to, uh, to really go to. If you uh, gave your money over, you might loan it to someone for interest. But uh, that was, it was not like uh, uh, us today where, uh, where I put my money in the bank and it's insured by the government. Don't think about that too long. Okay. 
but it's insured and I'm reasonably uh, comfortable that what little I put in there is going to still be there when I uh, go to retrieve it. they didn't have a stock market that you could invest in. You might invest in a relative or a business or someone that had something uh, that they wanted you to invest in. But um, most people would take anything that they had of much value. And when they saw the marauders coming or they saw the army uh, assembling on the hill, they had a spot where they would go and bury their treasure in the ground. Now, sometimes they would bury that treasure in the ground and then the armies would come through and they would lose their lives or they would be taken into captivity and taken away and that left the treasure in the ground. So this servant, this man that was maybe working by the day, discovered this treasure in this land on this man's property and you might think well this is kind of teaching some bad ethics but in uh, Jewish law if you found something like that it could be yours and he even went one step further he went well when he discovered it he put it back he hid it back and then he went to sell everything he had of value so that he could buy that plot of land and then retrieve that treasure. It meant everything to him. It even talks about him being filled with joy over this. And remember now, this the kingdom of God is like this man that finds a hidden treasure. He's filled with joy. How much more do we need to show that we are filled with God's joy? I mean, we're children of the king. We have an inheritance that is beyond imagination. We're going to have eternity with God in glory. That, That makes me excited makes me excited enough to tell other people about it. Tell other people that I come in contact with. Tell other people that are in my family that I love, that I care about. Tell my neighbors so that they might have this same joy. Let that soak a little bit. Now, I want to mention that this man was just going about his business and he stumbled upon this treasure. That's the way some of us in this room are. We were going about our business and all of a sudden, someone tells us about Christ. We hadn't been looking for Christ. We hadn't been looking for eternal life, but all of a sudden, we find it. I was not looking for Christ when I found him. I will confess to you, I accepted Christ when I was 20 years of age, when when I was uh, on football scholarship at North Texas in Denton, and uh, it was a lapse in judgment on their part to offer me a scholarship, but nonetheless, I was there, uh, and uh, 
I kept the bench very warm for them. And, uh, um, but I went there for all the wrong reasons. I didn't say, I'm going to go to North Texas. I'm going to go to Denton, Texas, and I'm going to find the Lord. No, I was there to party. That's the truth. But what I found instead was Pat Skyby. And she knew the Lord. And she's now Pat Warren. I'm so thankful for her. Not only for being my bride, for being my wife, but also for showing me the kingdom of God. I wasn't looking for it. I was like this guy that was working in the field and, and uh, um, stumbled upon it. Thank you, Lord. Then we have the parable of the pearl of great price. This is a totally different situation. This man, this dealer in pearls, is out working, he's studying it, and he's, uh, he's trying to find the pearls that have the most value. Now, pearls during this time were very, very impressive. We, we have, uh, we can see documentaries today about how diamonds are mined. And, how, and we can see reality shows about gold miners up in Alaska and all the hardship and all the expense and, and all the danger, okay? But in this day and time, when Jesus was teaching this parable, the, the one thing that said, I, I am wealthy, is pearls. Because they were hard to come by. Someone that was trying to uh, obtain pearls, and they were always looking for the best pearls. They would go out into the water, and it was deeper water than they could uh, just swim down to uh, where the because the others had been kind of fished out. And they would uh, tie a rope around themselves with rocks to get them to the bottom as fast as they could get to the bottom. And they would go down there and they would gather up the oysters that they could and then they would release from the, the rocks and go to the top all with one breath of air, okay? Now, I've seen some guys that could hold their breath for a long time. Uh, Pat and I had a, a privilege to go out uh, at, to uh, snorkel some out in, the, out, out in the ocean, and the, the guys that were there with us, they were snorkeling too, and they could, they could swim a long way down. I didn't have any desire to swim very deep because there were some big fish down there. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> these guys could hold their breath a long time. And they still used rocks to weight themselves down to get to the bottom where the oysters were, to get to the bottom where they might find uh, some oysters with some pearls they risked their their very lives 
because when they would come up with just one breath, they're going to have to come up pretty quickly and they might get the bends. There's all sorts of issues that might uh, come about. There are also creatures uh, that uh, could uh, injure them or take their lives from them. So pearls were obtained with great, with great expense, great danger, great personal danger to those that were going after the pearls. And uh, this man has been looking for pearls all his life. He has studied what makes a good pearl, what, what color should they be, uh, what do the flaws look like, uh, how can I determine a good one from a not so good one. Now we can, we can get uh, uh, pearls that are made out of plastic. Some of them look pretty good. Kind of like diamonds. Diamonds are hard to come by. But, you know, sometimes the salesman will tell the guy, hey, it, it's a CZ and it doesn't cost much and uh, no one will know the difference. You can tell the difference, by the way. Don't try that, guys. <laughs> Not without full disclosure, okay? But these pearls, were, this one pearl was so large and so perfect that this man that had studied pearls all his life said, hey, I'm going to get that pearl if it takes everything I've got I'm going to get that pearl. Now remember, the kingdom of God is like this hidden treasure. The kingdom of God is like this pearl of great value. We should be willing to give all we've got to the Lord. Now I say that and I have to qualify if we give all we've got, if I go to the bank and draw out every penny I have, if I uh, sell my uh, property and, and give all of that to the Lord, that will not win my salvation. It will not. Because even though it says the kingdom of God is like these things, and the other scriptures it tells us that we can only be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to apply this to our lives just a little bit. I want us to think about what is of great value. How do we determine great value? Now, some of us can remember anyone my age or maybe a little bit younger that has children, you know the feeling of buying your child a present that you think is just top notch. And uh, five minutes after they open it, they are done with the present. They have that big box that it was in and they are making forts or they're making something to slide down the hill in. Uh, the box is more entertaining than the gift itself. Have you experienced that? If you haven't, you will, okay? But how do we determine value? <clears throat> There's, uh, if we could have that first slide up, 
how do you determine the value of something? And I want us to focus specifically on the value of your soul and my soul. You know the value of something because of several different things. You know the value of something because of who made it, okay? The maker. We've got a, another slide with uh, a lot of different logos. You're gonna recognize some of these logos. You'll notice up on the, uh, toward the upper right hand, there's Lexus. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, you know that Pat and I celebrated 45 years of marriage. And uh, uh, after the service, um, we're driving off to go to, to lunch. And she says, Wyatt, you are one lucky man. And I said, I agree. What makes you say so? <laughs> okay. And she said, <clears throat> you know, I've always wanted a Lexus, but I don't like the way the new ones look. You're one lucky guy. There's a lot of reasons I could be lucky. Uh, but you can look at that and you can see some of those brands are um, kind of everyday. Some of them are very uh, expensive. Some of them you would trust that, hey, I'm going to get a good value from this. It's going to keep its, it's going to retain its value for a long time because of the maker. Okay? All right. Um, and the next thing that will help us to determine if something's valuable is what does it cost? Have you ever heard the expression, you get what you pay for? We're talking about our souls. Who paid for our soul? Let's have that next slide up there. Christ paid a tremendous price for my soul and for your soul. He came from glory. He lived amongst us. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. And then he allowed himself to be sacrificed on a cruel cross to pay for my soul. You see, my, my soul and your soul, is they're going to live for eternity. But with Christ, we can live for eternity in heaven. Okay? You can determine the value of something by how rare it is. Put the... Uh, Put that picture of the Mona Lisa up there.
There's only one. I mean, there's been people try to copy it. There's been people try to uh, distort it in some different ways. But there's only one Mona Lisa. Okay? That gives it great value. Now, something that gives Christianity great value in, is the rarity of it. Show that next slide of the empty tomb. There is no other religion on earth that there, the leader went into, died and went into a tomb and was buried, but then the tomb became empty. This is rare. This is, this is like none other. And it was for our soul. Talking about the value of our soul. What's it worth? What's the value of it? And then the durability. If, if something is durable, that's all right. You can let it take a message. Durability. You know, I had a pastor once that kept a big old mallet in the pulpit, and he said, bring that up here, and I'll answer it for you. <laughs> we, we won't do that. If something is durable, it's worth more. I had a Ford that I liked a lot, but it wasn't as durable as I thought it should have been. So the next time I bought a little pickup, uh, I bought a different brand, one that I thought would be more durable. That's where the rope comes in. No, I don't need that anyway. Uh, not enough to bend over and get it anyway. Uh, <clears throat> I am 65 years old. And the red portion of this rope is six and a half inches in length. One inch for every decade of my life. This body, you can look at it. I'm up here sitting on a stool. Okay? It's not very durable especially when I abuse it the way I do, okay? I don't know how many more years or decades this body has, but because I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior during this time of flesh and blood, I am certain that I'm going to have eternity with the Lord. And my soul, which I possess now, and I will possess during eternity, will be coupled with a new body. And the new body that I'm going to be coupled with is one that's fit for heaven. And you'll notice that I was so glad that these ropes that we use uh, uh, are green and, and white or translucent because 
the foundations of heaven are made of things like diamonds that the white could represent and emeralds that are green. So when you see these aisles roped off, you think about heaven, okay? Because that's, one of, that's some of the predominant colors we're going to see as believers. You can see that this, you know, this is a long piece of rope. There's a, a great song that we sing, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. And the chorus goes like this, and I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry, don't anyone leave. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 10,000 years is a long time. You might think, well, this is a pretty long rope compared to 65 years. It is. But if we measured this out, which I did, it's only about 400 inches. It's only about 4,000 years. According to the song, and I think there's good theology in the song, because heaven is forever. When, when my soul has lived in heaven for more than twice the length of this rope, I've only just begun. Now, I don't want to get so caught up in this that we miss something that's vital, something that's important. We're not going to have time to go to some other uh, passages in Matthew 25, but there's some parallel passages in Matthew 25 where uh, Jesus is teaching his apostles about the end times. And he talks about judgment day. He talks about uh, when, uh, when this age is over and he and his angels come and all the people will be raised up, believers and unbelievers, and they're going to be separated, the goats on one side and the sheep on the other side, kind of like the fish that we talked about earlier that were caught in this dragnet. And the good fish are going to be put in one place and the bad fish are going to be put in another. Kind of like when the wheat field that had been contaminated with bad seed the weeds will be taken up and they'll be thrown into the fire. Now, when the weeds are thrown into the fire, you know how something like that just goes up like nothing. The fire, the judgment for those weeds, the judgment for those poor fish, useless fish, the judgment for the goats, the judgments of those that we know and love that do not know and trust Jesus Christ 
as their Lord and Savior. They too are going to be fit. Their souls are going to be fit with a body for eternity, but not a body for eternity in heaven. It'll be fit for a body for eternity, separated from Christ for eternity through in hell in a fire that is unceasing and unquenchable. The decisions we make about Jesus Christ in our short lifetime makes a huge difference throughout eternity. When we've been here, there by for 4,000 years or 10,000 years, as the song, as the song says, we've only just begun. It's not rocket science. John 3.16 says, if you confess with your, excuse me, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life in the presence of God. Everlasting life on streets of gold, on foundations of diamonds and emeralds. And there's not going to be any need for sunshine there because we're going to have the light of the sun. We're going to have the light of Jesus. And my question for you this morning is do you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And if you do, You need to be communicating with people that you love and care about, your neighbors, your family members, and you need to make sure that they know that they know Jesus Christ is Lord for eternity because eternity is at stake. The kingdom of God is like this. And if you understand these things, you're like a man with a warehouse full of new things and old things that can be distributed, that you can teach, that you can encourage, that you can introduce them to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.